the wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyT-Shirt.com. It is the Game Plan Podcast. With the Game Plan Podcast, it is Greg Barnes and Jason Staples, the resident InsideCarolina.com experts. I'm the host, Tommy Ashley. I try to ask coherent questions to get better answers. Greg, I'll come to you first. Carolina, been off for a couple weeks. Notre Dame is on the horizon on Saturday night. Uh, Mike Brown talked about, and this is something that I want, I want to discuss a little bit. It, Matt Brown talked about guys talk about wanting to play in the NFL. Well, let's see you Saturday. How did you take Mac's comments? I felt like um, that Mac was basically taking shots at guys that if you want to play for yourself, this is the game you need to do it. You need to show up and you need to play well against Notre Dame. A little bit different tack maybe that Mac's taking here, or is it just some another way to try to motivate his guys? Well, certainly motivation, but even if you go back to the, the Clemson game in 2019, uh, because North Carolina got off to such a hot start that year, he was really talking up, you know, after the South Carolina and Miami wins. All right, you think you're all this, let, let's prove it. Let's prove it in this next game. And then you have the App State and the Wake games, of course, but then Clemson comes down and it's, all right, this is arguably the best team in the country. And at that point in time, they were. How do you stack up? Are you as good as you think you are? And I think I think those, if you want to call it a litmus test, whatever, uh, kind of measuring stick games are important. And I, I think the, the good thing about this situation this week for North Carolina, this is the first game, right? And we're in week nine. This is the first game where North Carolina has been an underdog. And they've had all this hype, all this expectation expectation on them and they really haven't played any great teams thus far and yet they've been crazy up and down well things are about to change because Notre Dame's good now they may not be Alabama Georgia good but they're good Wake Forest is good Pitt's playing really well right now at state's going to be tough so I think four of the next five games are going to be probably the toughest they've played all year long and so I think what Mac is saying, and the Monday, uh, if you go back and listen to some of his comments about Notre Dame and about the, the way the schedule ends, he seemed kind of uh, elated, like overly excited about the opportunity ahead because you can't play your B game and win any of these games. And it is a challenge, and it's an easy challenge to the players saying, look, you're not favored here. You're expected to get beat. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to rise to the occasion? And I, I think he's embracing that. I'm sure during the off week, uh, that was that was a conversation they had with with all the players. Of things are getting serious now. If you want to play in the postseason, you want to go to a bowl game, you have to turn it up several notches right now. 
because if you don't, you're staying home for Christmas. Uh, so I think it is a, a key motivational tactic. And I, I, I really think that they've, they've embraced that and are using that to the best of their ability. Jason, mindset of a player when you're favored by a lot um, versus when you're not expected to win. And, and I relate it to uh, a game I attended just a few minutes ago or earlier this evening um, where my son's soccer team destroyed a team earlier in the season. They play them again at home, and they don't play well because they clearly thought they were just going to wear somebody out, and they weren't ready to play. They ended up winning anyway, uh, but they weren't prepared to play, and it was much closer than it should be. So what is that mindset for a college athlete where you've been favored for, in everything? You haven't played very good at all collectively. Now you're not expected to win. Is there a different – brain going on there for the players depends on the college athlete it, yep. are we talking about you know young michael jordan michael jordan <laughs> if we're talking about young michael jordan if we're talking about you know somebody who's cut from that kind of competitive cloth it really does not matter the only thing that really matters because those guys are going to act like the team that you're not favored, uh, you know, that you're not favored against that. Somebody said something about how this guy is going to ultimately get this play, And you're going to want to show that you're being disrespected somehow, even though you're favored by, you know, 18 or whatever. Then you get to a game where you're really not favored and it's just that much, you know, it's the same thing, but, it, but this time it's real, I guess. Maybe there is a little bit more of a boost that you want to prove yourself. So for your, for your guys that are really motivated, for your guys that are, that are your top, top end players, and, you know, this is one of those things. I, I got one of the questions this week from, you know, Mike and I did, those, uh, did, did a pair of offensive line technique videos looking at, the, looking at basically coaching points on the Carolina offensive line and where things have not been going right. Uh, and then some things, some places where, you know, they, oh, they did this better, they did this correctly this time. But one of the things that kept coming up is Joshua Zudu, as often as not, is, is his techniques better than the rest. He does things right more often. And, you know, you keep watching him and it's like, yeah, you know, even at times when he's getting beat, sometimes he's getting beat because the guy next to him didn't quite do his job right. And kind of the pass off was bad. But Zudu, lots of the places where other people's technique is sloppy, his technique isn't as sloppy. And, you, and I got the question of like, well, why is Zudu? doing it right when all these other guys aren't. I mean, obviously somebody's getting, you know, teaching them, the, you know, telling them the right technique. Why are some of the other guys not doing what the Zudu is? Well, the best players are self-motivated. The best players, when you tell them the way to do it, they're going to internalize that and they're going to make sure they do it right every time. That's the way it works. Other guys, though, there are some other guys that are going to, you know, feel like they're called out or, you know, pushed on something and they are going to play harder. They're going to, you know, they're going to, uh, they're going to prepare a little bit harder. There's going to be a little bit more pep in the step for that other rival. And there's no doubt about that. The, the question is whether or not with those guys, their habits and so on have been good enough that that just slight increase in intensity is actually going to help them. The, the danger there is 
that basically you become the guy on the playground who get, or, you know, in the bar or whatever, who get, you know, the kid in the playground or in guy in the bar or whatever, who is really enraged, gets really passionate and then just starts fling flailing around trying to hit somebody. And he's the easiest guy to knock down because he's really, really enraged and passionate. You hear, you hear, you hear t- people talk about, you know, Oh, they came out flat or, Oh, that team, you know, they, they need to come out with more passion. Sometimes, the passion is the biggest enemy that you have if you haven't prepared well in other respects. So it can work one way. It can work another. And, you know, depending on players and depending on prior preparation, even coming into it, it can impact you and affect you differently. You, you talked about your videos and I'm going to go off track here for a second. Cause I do have a question about them. And if you, if you're listening to this podcast or watching this podcast and you haven't watched Mike and Jason's breakdowns of the offensive line, uh, eat something bland (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, watch it because it is very educational. But Jason, my question and Greg, really, you can chime in as well. If a guy like Azudu is doing it correctly, that means he was taught correctly by somebody, by somebody. But if everybody else is not doing it correctly, assuming that they're getting taught by the same guy, maybe not, maybe so, I don't know, wherein lies the rub? It goes back, and you guys mentioned it on your show or on your videos, it goes back to you get what you allow. So the question is, Jason, watching these videos, and I want your candid answer is, how does one allow it at this level? Okay. Because I can teach it correctly, but if you don't do it correctly and I do nothing about it, does it matter if I even teach it correctly in the first place? So you've got kids, you've coached before, right? Yeah, absolutely. You've coached youth stuff. You've been in the situation where you tell all the guys, you teach everyone the proper way to do it. And then what happens is you kind of get to a point where you got to choose who's actually playing more. You got to choose like at this point, like you've taught all your kids how to swing enough times. And this, 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 this guy just keeps not doing it right. Like no matter what you tell him, like by the third or fourth at bat of practice, it's just, it's not there by the third or fourth, you know, time fielding the ball, the fundamentals are gone or whatever but you're in the middle of practice at this point, you're trying to prepare for something specific or, you know, with football, you're trying to prepare for what other other teams are going to do. Once you get into the season before that, you're trying to install your stuff. The focus is on actually knowing like, okay, your assignment in this play is going to be this. And then if they line up in, you know, if they're in, if they're in an odd front, it's going to be this guy. If they line up in an even front, it's going to be this guy. Unless of course, you have a twist, in which case, here's what's going to happen here. But then you also have to know that if this guy is on the end man, uh, on the end of the line of scrimmage. So a lot of your teaching, especially once you get past the first couple of weeks at camp, is focused on learning the playbook. And then once you have that down, once you get into the season, especially, it's learning how to respond to what other teams are going to do to you. And you only have these guys for 20 hours a week. And that includes meeting time, right? You're not on the field that long. 
So you ask how you tolerate this. Well, it's really, really easy when you're going, okay, you know, we're in blitz, blitz uh, we're in blitz period. We're, we're working on all the blitzes that they're going to throw at us here. All right, let's line up. All right, scout team do this. And then you see a guy that's kind of a little bit breathing hard. You know, he's kind of getting a little sloppy in his stance or whatever. Do you stop things right there and say, no, hey, whoa, 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 son, here's the stance I want. And you do that. And now you lose two minutes of the time that's supposed to go in to prep for what they're going to do. And then you get out there that week. And because you lost that two minutes and you weren't able to get to the extra blitz that they might throw at you, it's a third and long. And all of a sudden that's the blitz they run and your guys don't know how to pick it up. That's how it gets tolerated. Now, the very best coaches in the game, what makes the best position coaches in the game is they find a way to hold their guys accountable at every level in every drill so that every drill, even when you're not working on stance, your stance had better be perfect. Even when you're not working on your kick, your kick had better look like it, like it should look on the first play of the game every rep, even when you're in scout team just working on technique. And it's really hard to do because you go against scout team and these guys are, you know, all right, that's what we got to do. All right, that's, and you're, you're going through the motions a lot. But the best coaches in the game demand that their guys, even when you're just walking through and going through the motions, do it right. You do it right. And there have to be consequences and accountability in that context. And like I said, that's really hard to do. And it, it's one of the reasons, by the way, why programs like Alabama have 60 people in there. And, you know, they, they've got almost as many coaches in their practice, you know, as many support staff who technically they're not coaching. But what they're doing is they're standing off to the side and they're yelling at the offensive line coach. Hey, get 76 to get his stance back in gear. He looks, he's not coiled in a stance. Well, guess who's actually hearing that? <laughs> he's not coaching the kid. He's coaching the coach who's supposed to tell that to the kid, but the coach doesn't have time for that. But guess who hears it? And then if the kid doesn't make the adjustment based on, you know, it's like, you know, tell your father, you know, this sort of thing. It's that stuff that's going on. And this is why having more people in practice matters that's why those those programs pay so much money for the extra analysts and everything in practice because just having an extra an extra person who's working with that segment to to monitor just technique when you're not working on technique and to make sure that those guys are hearing it and that okay no we need to do that one again coach i was watching such and such and he wasn't doing it right oh okay rep it again quick you better get back that's what makes the difference and it's harder to do when you don't have as many people, but you have to do it. And it's a pain in the butt for a position coach to have to focus on that every day, day in, day out. And in, But the thing is, you have to do that until you get the culture where Mike Ingersoll was a player, right? He could coach all this now. What you want is ultimately your upperclassmen to be so in, so. Uh, bought in to doing it right every time perfectly every time that your third year starter when the backup is doing his rep isn't just kind of walking back to the front of the drill he's running back and he's watching his backup and going 
no, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Hey, get your stance right. Get your stance. No, you got to come out this. And now your kids are coaching each other. Now your culture is exactly where it needs to be. And right now, I'm not seeing evidence that the older guys are actually doing, at least on the offensive line. That's what Mike and I were talking about. A lot of the older guys, they're making high school mistakes and they're, they're doing things that they were doing three years ago, which means that they're also not able to hold their younger guys accountable to do it right every time either. Yeah, Tommy. Yeah, that's good stuff. You can't stop practice and say, we're going to do this all day until everybody gets it right. You can't do that. You don't have time for it. Not, yeah. not in college. Right. And in the Co- pros, if you have to do that, the guy just gets cut. Yep. Correct. Go ahead, Greg. A couple of things here to, to follow up on what Jason said. Uh, I won't dive into it because we talked about it a lot in the On the Beat podcast uh, last night. But a lot of people are asking about what takes place in the bye week and why Sam Howell maybe is not getting as many reps as some of the other guys. What Jason just said is, is what, I was referencing what I was talking about because in a normal game week, there are three days of practice. Tuesday's install Wednesday, typically is special situations, third down short yardage Thursday. Yeah. Right. Thursday is polish. Those are your three days. You don't have time to be given reps to your four string defensive linemen. That's why they're on the scout team. So you learn all that technique stuff in the offseason and in preseason camp. So what happens in an open date is because you've played seven games and a lot of the young guys, you're trying to see if they can come on, if they're worthy of playing time late in the year. This is an opportunity to say, okay, we're not going to focus so much on Notre Dame during this open week. We're going to let these kids show us what they've got. And so it's almost like a training camp week during the regular season for a lot of the young guys. That's one way they learn. Um, The other aspect of this is success with execution and how we're grading. It's relative because I don't care how many times Marcus McKeithen messes up on a certain play. If I'm the backup, guess what? They're going to let Marcus McKeithen get away with a lot of stuff because they don't have any other option. Uh, Notre Dame, they stunk this year early offensive line-wise. And guess what? They're on their fourth left tackle. You think Carolina has four left tackles? So this is kind of what we're talking about is the program building. The other component of this, and I wrote about this last week, ahead of the or two weeks ago, ahead of the Miami game, Mac Brown and Manny Diaz were saying the exact same thing. And what they were saying is talking about leadership. And one of the problems when you're having issues with leadership is both of those coaches are in the third year and you've got young guys who are vaulting to the top of the depth chart while your older guys who have been playing are seeing their snaps diminish. So you have this weird component of, okay, well, the young guys aren't really the leaders because they haven't played as much, but they're the better players. But yet you have the older guys who actually know what they're supposed to be doing they can't rely as much on talent. And so it's just a mess. And the only way to get through that is to grind through it. You know, two years from now, that won't be an issue. But we're right in the middle of it right now. Um, and so there's just a lot of different components that go into play. And it's not as simple as saying, okay, that kid screwed up a few plays. He's going to the bench because we got somebody just as good right behind him. He's slide in. That is not the case. 
it's where I wish like the Madden or NCAA games would have more missed assignments. Like if right. you put a backup in or whatever, so, you know, you're going to have injuries or whatever. And then as soon as you get a backup in, you start seeing like just constant missed assignments and things because that person hasn't had all the reps and all this and they're young or whatever. And you'd see people like turning that feature off, you know, like, you know, we all used to turn the, I don't know. I mean, I haven't played one of these games in years, but you know, you used to turn injuries off. <laughs> right. Yep. Like the last thing I want is to be playing through and injuries are off right. when you're, when you're playing somebody else. Well, you know, regular coaches don't have that option. You have injuries, you have young players, you have t- a ton of a boatload of missed assignments. And every time you play a younger guy, you're going to have even more. Uh, and, and one other thing to build on what Greg said, this is why missing a spring is absolutely critical because spring is really where you do the majority of your technique work for the year. Yep. Because you get 15 practices in spring, of which three are going to be scrimmages. So you get 12 total practices where you, you're going to use, you know, you've got a couple non-pad practices. So you, can't, you can only focus on some technique and stuff there. But you're going to do install for usually three or four of those practices as your hardcore install for your base stuff. And you're going to install a little bit every day from there through the 12 days. But the majority of those 12 days is going to be focused on getting better at the, at the little things and getting better at technique, getting better at doing the base stuff well. That's when you get to do that. If a player misses a spring or if, like we saw during COVID, an entire team misses a spring, it's absolutely killer because what you're expecting is you really focus on what needs to be fixed or you know technique stuff during the spring so that your players can go out and work on that all summer with each other, coaching each other on the points that you're, you know, you, you get your, you know, spring report of this is the stuff you got to work on all summer. And then you come back in for the first week of camp and you kind of polish that stuff up for the first week or two of camp during installation and all of that. And then you're in the season. It's just polishing up a little bit of what you, what you were supposed to have worked on all summer coming out of camp or coming out of spring. So if you lose a spring and they lost a spring last year, and that's year two under a coach where you lose a spring, that, that, puts, you at, that puts you really a full year behind technique-wise. So, you know, there's to some degree, it's, not, it's a little bit to be expected that you can't really count third-year starters to some degree as third-year starters when they, yeah, they start, this is their third year, but they didn't get to work on some of the stuff that they needed to in year two. How much of the stuff, Jason, that you talk about that you and Mike have been critical of is stuff that guys could work on their own? Pretty much all of it. In the backyard. Pretty much all of it. All of that stuff is stuff that, I mean, when I, when I, when I was at Florida State, our offensive line, so every, every evening at 5 o'clock, we would all go out there. The entire team would be out there in the summer wide receivers, quarterbacks, running backs, defensive backs, and all that. And we'd do one-on-ones and then pass scale. Quarterbacks would run it, and then safeties and DBs would do their whole thing with linebackers to get all that stuff to. And we'd do full pass scrimmages. And you'd think, okay, that makes sense because you can do that without pads. But our offensive line was out there working their tail off as a unit, as full units, for the same amount of time that we were on the field. We'd be out there two hours a night. 
and this is after usually one or two lifting sessions plus a running session every night or every day. And then you go out there at five o'clock and you've got that and you go out there and you do that. And our guys would work on exactly the stuff that Mike and I were identifying. They'd be working on that and coaching each other on that stuff every night during the summer, five days a week minimum. And so that's expected that if if you're going to be a successful team and, you know, obviously we were at that time, if you're going to be a successful team, you've got to do that. It goes back to the player led, right? If you're not player led, you're not going to be successful. Nope. None of the elite teams are coach led. None of them. Let me take a second. Talk about Johnny t-shirt, Johnny t-shirt.com. They're sponsors of the podcast. And if you're wondering why I'm looking up there, because the Braves are crap in the bed in game two of the World Series. But the John, Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com, sponsors of Inside mm. Carolina podcast, great friends of Inside Carolina, give you 10% off if you're a premium subscriber. And you know what you get if you're a premium subscriber? You get all these videos Jason's talking about and that we're talking about here. It is worth the price of admission. I think either Greg, even Greg Barnes will admit, admit that. These breakdowns are worth the price of admission Absolutely. Uh, on, on Inside Carolina. It, it is fascinating. I learn something every day. You feel like you know, but you don't know until you listen to these guys talk football. Yeah, and- if, if, look, I, I have a unique angle to speak to this <laughs> just because I watch games in the press box so I don't have to listen to the commentators, right? And so I get home and I rewatch the games. I'm like, ugh, and then you turn on – Jason and uh, his his guests and it's it's quite impressive. It is a uh, it is it is it's some uh, of those commentators are stealing money. I, oh, it, uh, it drives me crazy because it's like, look, ESPN. If you wanted to hire me to do a couple games, you know, a week or whatever, I know I can do better than that guy. But yeah. there yeah, there are I, a I, lot of there are a lot are of stealing pe- money. Yeah, there are a lot of people that are uh, doing just that in sports in sports broadcast and all there's some great stuff you know for instance peyton and eli's deal on monday night football that's stuff like that but yeah you watch that once and you realize like how poor the actual guys that are being paid to do the to do the color commentary to you know provide the analysis actually are with the exception of romo yeah i love that dude because because these guys like what they're seeing out there is not what the normal commentator is seeing, right? They're looking at this and going, oh, that, you know, that's the defense he's seeing. They must be checking to this. And they're looking at it already like they know because I, that's what I would be checking. To. <laughs> and those guys see stuff, you know, obviously way faster and better than I do. And so I'm learning watching those guys. <laughs> What's but, fascinating man. to me is that there's not more of those guys because there's a, a, literally a multitude of former guys that can talk about it and yet we get some of the guys we get anyway acc network's one of the worst at that but anyway i do I love that when, that man that peyton and eli only had to do monday night football once for the angles to widen the next week oh <laughs> you're right the next you, week that the, compare the first week of monday night football this this year when when peyton and eli did it compare the angles to the ha- to what happened the next week the next week, you could see the safeties on the screen the entire the entire game. Yep, because they finally those, like, heard from- those guys talk to somebody, and I would really like for them to talk to some of the some of the um, the college directors who are allowing their camera people to to 
shoot games like it's 1960 and teams only run the football in the box. Because, man, those guys, I mean, you could see it was obvious that Peyton and Eli basically went to somebody and were like, look, we can't do this if we can't actually see what's going on downfield. Like, we're just completely blind here. <laughs> That's fine. But, I, I but guarantee for the Marshawn Lynch. they said that to was like, huh, interesting. Yeah, really? Like so you mean you want to see the receivers? <laughs> great, great point. But for Marshawn Lynch's appearance. They've been fantastic, even though that was technically fantastic, uh, <laughs> but it really was not FCC approved. So uh, anyway, he was I digress. Not to get fined. That was, that was hilarious. If you haven't seen that, go find it on social media somewhere. But anyway, let the national guys pay the bills. This is the Game Plan Podcast, Notre Dame edition. Jason Staples, Greg Barnes will be right back after the break to actually talk about the game plan for Saturday night, 730 in Notre Dame Stadium. Hey guys, this is Ross Martin from Inside Carolina, and I want to talk to you about Inside Carolina's new podcast sponsor. It's Blue Shark Vodka. Blue Shark Vodka is a family-owned vodka company based out of Wilmington and Wrightsville, North Carolina. It's available in all 100 counties. And the thing about Blue Shark Vodka is it's the smoothest vodka in the world. It's made with sweet North Carolina corn to create the world's smoothest vodka. It's been distilled four times and then mellowed for 28 days to create that full blooming and awaking flavor each batch is in triple filtered giving it a smooth clean finish and eliminates any of the alcohol bite guys i've been using it recently with some soda water fruit juice little lime juice it's great for tailgates it's light it's smooth and it's an award-winning premium vodka from north carolina local and family owned and it's available once again in all 100 counties so head to your local abc store to check out blue shark vodka Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. All right, boys, uh, let's get into it. We're going to uh, – so Jason Staples is here. Greg Barnes is here. It's the game plan, Notre Dame edition. I'm Tommy Ashley. We're going to pepper Jason Staples with questions about how Carolina approaches this game because I'm going to be honest with you. I picked them to win this game to start the season. Everybody knows that. But I, I do think this is a game that Carolina could win uh, if they just do what they're supposed to do. So what are they supposed to do? Jason, let's start with Carolina's offense. Carolina needs to score points to beat Notre Dame. They have struggled at times um, against athletic defenses. Tell me why they can have some success holistically against Notre Dame's defense, who will be missing uh, one of their best stars in the backfield, though Notre Dame has a way of plugging and playing guys that and not missing a beat. So where does Carolina gain success against Notre Dame Saturday night on offense? Well, I mean, not them not having Hamilton is a big deal because that guy is really good. Him uh, and nine last year dominated, even though he yeah. went out early against Carolina last year. Yeah, he's he's really good, and he's he's sort of the glue to that defense and, uh, and can cause and can erase a lot of problems back there. Uh, actually, I mean, you, you, if you go back and you watch the, the first game of the season that they had, the win against Florida State in, in overtime, uh, 
in that game, Hamilton's really the reason they won that game because he made a couple plays. He had two interceptions in that game, and he had a couple plays where they were beat, and he just came out of nowhere and made the play. And so him not playing really helps uh, because he's a guy that I would have been saying right now, Howell had better know where he is every play. Well, now you can kind of play honest against their secondary. Uh, and I think their secondary can be had. I think that's one of the places that Carolina has a, a good chance to, uh, to have success in this game. I mean, you look at their pass defense, it's been okay. And they haven't played a bunch of elite passers. I mean, Florida State, Toledo, Purdue, Wisconsin, Cincinnati, Virginia Tech, and Southern Cal. You don't see any, you know, first rounders really in that group in terms of, of quarterbacks. So you look at then what they've given up and you go, oh, wow, they've actually given up some, some plays through the air once they've played competent quarterback play. I mean, Cincinnati, 297 yards, uh, 297 yards through the air, 9.3 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, no picks. So there's your formula is you're going to have to be able to throw against their secondary to beat them. That's the, that's the team that has beaten this Notre Dame team. They're a team that beat Notre Dame by throwing efficiently through, through, uh, through the air. I guess that's where you would throw. Um, <laughs> but that's what they did. Carolina is going to have to have Sam Howell at his best to beat this Notre Dame team. I think they can beat this Notre Dame team. And you look at, I mean, look at the, the teams that, that are common opponents. They beat Virginia Tech 32 to 29. So that's a ball game. And Virginia Tech should have won that game. Notre Dame came back, I think, what was it, last minute to win that? It was a, a very fortunate win for them. Not really a whole lot different statistically than what you saw from North Carolina versus Virginia Tech. Went to overtime against Florida State. So, you know, you look at this. I think this Notre Dame team is a good team, but I don't think they're what they were last year still. And I'm not sure that they've played anybody that can really expose them in some of the areas where they, they aren't quite as strong, other than what Cincinnati did, where Cincinnati was able to, was able to beat them 24-13. So I think, I think – Number one, offensively, they're going to have to have a really good game from Sam Howell. In order for that to happen, they're going to have to have success from Howell throwing to someone other than Josh Downs and throwing somewhere other than sort of the inside part of the field. What that's going to mean is they're going to need to get one of the outside wide receivers. And we've this. how many times have we talked about this so far this year? Every week. Pretty much every week. I mean, going back to week one. When, when, you know, when Joey and I were talking in the, in the pregame for the Virginia Tech game, what were we talking about, about offense? The main thing we got to see is who's going to step up on the outside to replace De'Ami Brown, to replace Bo Corrales, who, you know, we all thought would be out there by this point this year. Who's going to be out there to do that? Who's going to step up and do that? Because that's what they need. And nobody's done it yet. If they can have Antoine Green or one of the young guys, it doesn't matter who it is. Notre Dame's corners are, are, are one of the weak points of their defense. They're, they're good. Their whole defense is good across the board. They're, they're a solid program. But their corners can be beat. 
they're going to have to have a big play or two from an outside wide receiver in this game, I think, to really be in position to win this game offensively. To me, that's the key. To that point, let me throw this stat out here because this is, this is pretty fascinating. Uh, this may speak more to the defense, but also speaks to what the offense has to be able to do. Notre Dame's won 38 straight games when they score 30 points or more, which to me really speaks about the quality of the defense. Um, and I think it, Jason's exactly right there about the outside wide receiver. Uh, and people may remember, but one thing that Notre Dame was able to do last year is they really were able to kind of uh, get into some of the passing lanes with some of the quick game stuff for North Carolina. And they had success doing that with some of their safeties. And that really frustrated what Sam wanted to do. Marcus Freeman's the new defensive coordinator, came over from, from Cincy. Um, and he's really – a lot of similarities in what they do. He's really emphasized uh, – let's see, what do they call that position now? The uh, Viper, Right the new Viper position, which whatever it's, it's a hybrid outside linebacker defensive end. But whereas last year they really used their safeties to come up and, and get in some of those passing lanes, especially over the middle. Freeman has designed this role and this is where Isaiah uh, Foskey is. And of course he has eight sacks. Everybody knows what kind of pass rusher he is, but they really like that position to be able to drop into some of these lanes. And that's kind of a, a little bit of a unique twist. I want to read this quote from uh, Brian Kelly earlier this week because I I think it it says a lot. He was asked about the Viper position and about how they've had success dropping that position back into coverage and kind of what the intent was. Uh, And and what Kelly says is, uh, quote, we're taking away the quick game, the RPO game, the slant game, and the drive game. Those quick games that hit in those areas in particular. You're seeing less quick slants that hit in that box area. They're just in those windows. It's about taking up those windows, end quote. Jason, I haven't heard that. Can you expand on that a little bit and kind of explain what Notre Dame's trying to achieve with that? Well, it's just, so uh, one of the articles that went around, I know the Tar Pit Premium message board, there was a d- big discussion about this a couple of weeks ago about how, what Georgia's doing. There was an article, uh, Pro Football Focus article on what Georgia's doing to you know shut down modern offenses. And of course, my response to that was, well, having a starting lineup of basically 11 five-star talents and then a few five stars in the back, you know, as backups sure doesn't hurt, right? Lots of teams are doing this, but that's exactly the the stuff that that's in that article is what uh, is what Freeman is doing at Notre Dame. And incidentally, it's what you're seeing from Bateman at North Carolina. You, I've seen a lot of people at different points talk about like, why would you put a guy like, uh, you know, some of the, some of the defensive ends at, at North Carolina, why would you drop Tamon Fox in coverage? Why would you drop a guy like uh, Pinder? You know, that's the joke right now. Like, Oh, you know, Pinder of course is in the transfer portal. Well, I hope somebody needs a 290 pound corner or defensive back. Yeah. 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 That's funny because he dropped in coverage and you think it's ridiculous, but this is why. And the reason for that is what teams are doing. And this is, and you named all of those things. Can you name them again? The, the, he said slants, quick game. It's a quick uh, game, RPO game, slant game, and drive. And drive, which is about 80% of what North Carolina has gotten its passing offense from this year. <laughs> yep. RPOs, quick game, and drive. 
And drive is just basically a, a crossing route sort of uh, uh, that comes all the way across. So you get, you get, it's a, it's a, a pair. I wish I could draw it up, but you know, it's not going to work for here, but it's also going to, going to go pretty quickly. And what you're trying to do by dropping an end or your, your outside linebacker, your Viper type player, as, as they call it is, and you don't do this every play, but you do it enough that the quarterback cannot just identify, okay, that player is going to be responsible for that gap. He's my conflict player. If he steps forward, I just pull the ball and I throw it on the RPO and I throw that glance route, which is that, you know, slant route right behind the backers and we're going to score. No problem. We're just going to first down. Well, what you do is you let that backer come up and you drop that Viper right into that spot. And what happens when you do that and you're the quarterback and you don't keep an eye to that? Throw it's it bad down hands. or if that guy's a really good athlete, that's an interception. So what you're doing is you're slowing down the process for the quarterback. You're forcing the quarterback to read another player. You're saying, okay, well, you're going to read this guy. Now that guy's not the conflict player. That guy is. And your guy has to be able to know that. And so that's going to slow everything down. And there's been a number of times this year. Uh, I mean, I, I, I uh, uh, broke down a couple of them against uh, Virginia Tech and, uh, and, and the week after that where you saw teams bring the, the guy that was on the side of the, the glance route for, for Howell, the guy that he was reading, he, he triggered quickly and they brought the safety or the backer across underneath where the glance route was going. Teams have been doing this stuff against Carolina all year to try to adjust to where they get their, their offense from. So that's the stuff that Freeman's going to do. He's going to move guys into the windows where Carolina likes to have their RPOs, where Carolina likes to throw their, their quick game just to force the quarterback to slow down his processing a little bit and maybe make a mistake. That's what they're doing, which means Carolina has to have the counter to the counter. That also means that you can maybe take a deeper drop once in a while. You go play action, let that guy drop, and now they're not going to get quite as much pass rush, and you can hit him downfield on something. But you're going to have to be, you're going to have to execute those things. That's why it's imperative that you have the outside receivers that can win one-on-ones. And that's what you're going to need to do to beat Freeman's defense. He's going to come up and he's going to play competitive with you with those corners, even though they're not the best corners. That that's not the strength strength of their defense. They're going to force you to beat them out there. And I think Carolina is going to have to do it to have success in this game. And Josh, they've used Josh Downs to counter that kind of stuff a lot. But to your point, uh, they're going to have to win on the outside. So is that the key here? Or or is a guy like Chai Chandler out of the backfield um, another key for for Carolina to have success offensively? Because I do not think Carolina has success – um, enough to win the game doing what they've done all year. Uh, I, think yeah, I don't, I don't think they're going to just be able to, you know, go out and run base stuff and do what they've done all year and just, you know, run over, run over Notre Dame. But yeah, I mean, obviously if Chandler has a big day, then that changes a lot of things. And so how should they use him differently than they have so far this year? Well, I like to see Chandler get downfield, actually running routes downfield. Um, now, the thing is, they've also had some success with the tight end H-back. And when you're sending Chandler, a lot of times that means you have to keep the H-back in in order to compensate for the loss of a guy in, in pass protection. 
But I like with the personnel that they have, I like the ability to put him out there and, and basically either go empty or, you know, maybe you have a, a second back in the game and you can, you can force them into a little bit bigger personnel. I like him being out wide, him motioning to, to slot positions, him getting into, into routes a good bit. And I would, I, you know, again, I think you need to probably have him run at least two or three wheel concepts per game where he's going to be coming up the sideline or coming up the hash, depending on where you're running it from with a chance to, to beat a guy over the top. And you, you need to put an alert on that uh, to make sure that you're getting a chance to, to give him a, a chance to run away with it. But I think that's what you have to do. I mean, they don't run the screen well enough. They've not blocked screens well enough for that really to be a big part of their plan. I don't think, but uh, I think they, again, it's about one-on-one matchups on the outside and it sure helps for Chandler to win his matchups. I want to talk about what Carolina's defense got to do real quick before we get out of here, before the, you know, before we actually see some action on, on the field, but is Sam Howell the guy yeah. for Carolina to win this game? Is it on Sam Howell's shoulders? Yeah, it has to be. I mean, he's, he's the guy that came into the season as a Heisman trophy candidate. He is the most productive quarterback in, in, in North Carolina history. You, you've got to have that guy go out and win this kind of game. Plain and simple. Let's look at the other side of the ball. How does Carolina deal with the issues that Notre Dame, uh, you know, Notre Dame's just going to try to grind them up. Kyron Williams going to try to, to get yards. Um, Cone, I guess he'll be the quarterback. He's, they're not going to do anything special. I do not think. Uh, Brian Kelly said earlier in the week that Carolina had more talent on the defensive line than they've seen this year. How does Carolina have success on this side of the ball defending Notre Dame's offense? Because last year they just wilted. That's basically what happened. They wilted in the second half and could not withstand. Does Carolina have the ability to not wilt against this Notre Dame team, Jason? I think they really do. And and one of the reasons is that North Carolina lost their entire offensive line from last year, basically. Notre and Dame did. Yeah, no, Notre Dame did. Yeah, no, Notre Dame did. And North Carolina is going to be able to put pressure on them. This is not the same offensive line that we saw last year. That offensive line last year dominated the game, dominated North Carolina, and they dominated basically everybody they played right up until the playoff. That 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 was a really good offensive line last year. They've struggled up front this year. Like you mentioned, uh, earlier in, in, uh, in, in this show, they, they're on their fourth left tackle of the season for a reason, because they've had trouble blocking at that position. Now, a lot of teams don't have a fourth left tackle to go to <laughs> and even come close to being productive. But when you're on your fourth left tackle, that means you're not having success at that spot. And they're not as athletic as they've been offensive line wise. Last year, the thing was you could, Stunt them, you could slant them, you could do whatever. And they were both big and they moved. They were so athletic. This line is big, but doesn't move nearly as well. And you can actually use movement with them to get penetration and cause problems in the running game. I've seen multiple teams do that to them this year. That's what Luke Fickle and, and, and Cincinnati, they, they put the blueprint for what you've got to do to have a, to have a, a good game plan against Notre Dame. And you look at what they did, and they were able to limit the running game for Notre Dame. That's what they were able to do. So you look at Cincinnati, 
Notre Dame, 93 rushing yards on 30 carries, 3.1 yards. Or that, I'm sorry, I've got the wrong one. Uh, it, they were 84 yards on 28 carries, 3.0 yards per carry against Cincinnati. So you go back and you look at what they did, and you see that they didn't have a ton of success running it. Interestingly, the same Florida State team that North Carolina played, Notre Dame averaged 1.86 yards per carry on the ground against that Florida State team. So you can limit this team on the ground. And to me, the key for Jay Bateman is going to be, can you find a way to do exactly that? Can you force this team under four yards of carry, not give up some big plays in the, in the, in the, uh, in the running game so that Notre Dame is in passing situations most of the game? If you can force them into passing situations, I think you can, you can win this game. And that, to me, is the key. I think, again, Kelly's right. He's going up against a pretty good group on the, uh, on the defensive line. I think, I think North Carolina's defensive line can give Notre Dame's offensive line trouble in the running game, and then you get into those passing situations, and it's simply a matter of whether they're going to communicate and hold up on the back end against a Notre Dame team that's, that has thrown it pretty well on the year. So, you know, they've, they've – They've average, they, they've done fairly well, but it's not been dynamite. So I think this, if, if North Carolina is going to win this game, it's probably going to be a little lower scoring as a result of Notre Dame not being able to run it as well. And Bateman basically being able to leverage, get, get some good leverage situations and limit a team that doesn't have a ton of guys that can make big plays down the field in the passing game. You know, they have to be pretty, they have to be, you know, pretty successful consistently because they, they don't have a ton of big plays in either the run or the passing game. Yeah, the one benefit Notre Dame does have up front is, is Jarrett Patterson, who's a, you know, kind of an All-America level center. He didn't play in the game against Carolina last year because he was hurt. He was one of those guys that had to sub out. Um, but clearly he's, he's by far their best offensive lineman, and he's kind of held things together. Uh, but you mentioned the, the offensive line kind of being immobile. Jack Cohn uh, from Wisconsin uh, qualifies as immobile, right? He, he's not a guy that's going to be like Ian Book was last year. But what Notre Dame has figured out, and I think this will frustrate some North Carolina fans because Carolina fans are trying to figure out how, to, how should schemes change in Chapel Hill, right? Well, what Brian Kelly and Notre Dame has done is said, all right, offensive line is not great. Uh, the running game, even though we have a great back and, and Kieran Williams has not been as good as we thought it could be. Therefore, teams are able to get after Jack Cohn. It's been a problem. So what have they done in the last two games, really dating back to that game in Virginia Tech, probably in second half? They've gone quick tempo. Mm -hmm. But the idea being, if your offensive line is not great and your quarterback can't move, you got to get it out of his hands quickly. Um, and they're really excited about what happened. Of course, they, they won the game in Blacksburg. They look pretty good against USC. We all know the kind of mess USC is in right now. Uh, but they think that's a game plan for them. Um, they do have the big tight end, Michael Meyer, uh, who's their, their key guy. I mean, that's kind of their possession receiver. That's going to be their, their top receiving option. Um, then they're going to lean on Williams a lot to catch out of the backfield and, and to run the ball, even though, He's not going to get a ton of yardage unless he breaks off a big play. So when a team tries that approach and you're really desperately trying to go with tempo and trying to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands before you can get to him, 
rapid fire. How does North Carolina combat that? To me, the, 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 this goes back to what we were talking about with what Freeman likes to do for Notre Dame. You drop some guys unexpectedly in coverage. You bring pressure from different angles. It's hard to do with tempo to make sure that you're, that you're calling some uh, different looks and, and blitz calls. One of the reasons you go tempo is to try to force teams to, into more, more vanilla stuff. But if Bateman is able to stay aggressive – that's the key, I think. If, if you're able to, to stay aggressive and have a few things in your back pocket so that you've got stuff ready to go, that, okay, it's second and, second and seven, and they're going fast, and we're going to bring this field blitz this way against this formation and get it out of his hands quickly, and everybody's going to be on the same page. If you've got a few of those and you're able to get a little pressure, you can, you can take the initiative back from the offense a little bit in that uh, – in that tempo. So to me, I, I would, I want to see them, especially coming out of a buy where they've had a chance to maybe install a little bit extra on that, to have a few extra pressures to stay aggressive there. And the other thing is they've just got to, they've got to handle their business in coverage. If you, if they can shore up the corner opposite Grimes where, you know, I, I think Michael's really struggled this year and, and I expect to see a change in terms of, uh, of the starter at that spot this week. If they can hold up there and, and be consistent in coverage on some of those guys, then that's going to help too. So, you know, I think you probably want to keep a little bit more of your pass rush package out there against their tempo than you might on normal downs. You know, some of the guys that you've designated as, okay, this is one of our better pass rushers on the year. Maybe you have that guy on, on, on the field a little bit earlier in first down, thinking that he still can hold up against the run. So that when they're in a long, longer yardage situation and they're going fast, you can still get that guy rushing the passer. So those are some of the things that I think you've got to do is you've got to stay aggressive and you've got to find ways to still get pressure on the quarterback when they go fast. So we've talked about the game plan. We've talked about what to expect. Let's talk about predictions. Mm. <laughs> Man, I don't even know where to start. I hadn't done any since that uh, ill-fated twelve and other thing. Greg, I'll I'll call upon you first. Carolina at Notre Dame, seven thirty. I think this is a, a, a nobody realistically expects Carolina to win this game. There's plenty of people on Inside Carolina that do, um, but outside of the Inside Carolina bubble, I, I don't see anybody picking Carolina. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But Greg, how does it all shake out in South Tommy, Bend City? Notre Dame's only favored by three and a half. And somebody at and, home. And what did we talk about on the beat? You know, somebody said, "Should I bet the farm and the house?" <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, <laughs> I think that speaks to it. And Brian Kelly talked about it this week, and when you look at North Carolina and you see all the pieces they have, we're not alone in scratching our heads saying, how is this team four and three? How is this team pretty much out of the coastal race? The middle of October. That was a hell of a quote, right? It was, it was, a, it was like, this is a really good team. Not my job to figure out why they're not a good team. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of people feel that way. And we've seen that with the point spreads and this is because, the potential is is way up here 
and yet they're playing kind of down here. And so if they ever play to their potential, this team could beat anybody on this schedule. Anybody. Um, but it's tough. Notre Dame has won nine straight games at home at night. Carolina's one and six on the road in night games under Mac 2.0. Uh, there's all kinds of stats like that I could throw out. But I, I think given how the defense has played thus far, you know, you guys know how I am. I'm going to have to see it consistently. It can't be, well, they played good against Duke, but they didn't play good against Florida State or Miami. I'm going to have to see it consistently before I can put a lot of faith in, in that group. And while Notre Dame is not great offensively, they're okay. And their defense is good. And so you look at Carolina, their offense is not great anymore, but it's still pretty good. But the defense is really a problem. And so when you look at kind of the whole balance of these two teams, Notre Dame has the better team right now in terms of how they're playing. Not a whole lot better, but North Carolina's defense is a weakness. Uh, and with it being on the road, it's going to be a great crowd in South Bend on Saturday night. Uh, I just have a hard time seeing North Carolina win this one. Certainly they can, but I've got Notre Dame winning this one uh, 35-24. 11 point win. Is that a, uh, a backdoor cover or is it a straight up cover? Did they, did they score late to cover? No, it's a three and a half spread, man. Well, you that's, got a, that's a pretty healthy cover for Notre Dame. Okay. Okay. You got 11 points. I, math yeah. is not my strong suit. <laughs> Look at Jason on the YouTube video. The man is shocked at my math skills. What's the score, Jason? What happened? One of the interesting things, so so first of all, that that line is really interesting, right? I mean, if you're going to look at yeah. that, that's one where knowing the records of these teams and the trajectory of these teams coming into, into this game, knowing that you get three points as a rule for home, they're basically saying these two teams would be a push on a neutral site. How many people would have expected that line is the question, even on, even on inside Carolina, you know, you talk about inside Carolina fans, you know, maybe, maybe thinking that Carolina has a shot here and most people don't. Most folks, I think were surprised at that line. And I'm looking actually at the, at the public right now, the public is 68% on Notre Dame at those, at that line number. You know what that tells me? That tells me that the sharps, the professional guys who have more on uh, who, who are putting more on these things are actually betting North Carolina plus three and a half. There's a reason for that. So I've seen North, I've seen Notre Dame up close and personal, you know, got a chance to really break down one of their games earlier this year. I don't think that this Notre Dame team is so I think North Carolina, you know, they're disappointing for their in terms of their record based of based on what their ceiling could be, like like Greg said. I think this Notre Dame team, their record is about as good as it could be given sure. how good they are. That Notre Dame team could easily have 3 or 4 losses on the year with how they played. So, I think this is a much closer, more even matchup than it initially looks like on paper. And I think North Carolina coming out of a bye, sort of licking their wounds a little bit, 
but coming out of a bye after a win. So, you know, a chance to, to feel decent about themselves. I don't feel good about it, but I'm picking North Carolina to win this game. I don't think this Notre Dame team is as good as what their record is. I think there, there, there are some matchup play. There's some spots in the matchups that I like North Carolina where they're, where the weaknesses and strengths line up. I like North Carolina's chances here. And I think Sam Howell ultimately after a buy getting, a, getting a little bit of perspective I think he comes out and and makes the extra play, and I think Carolina walks away with a surprising win in 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 uh, South Bend. So I'm going to go with with North Carolina, uh, 27, Notre Dame 24. Just when I thought I'd gotten out, Jason Staples pulls me right Pull back, back in. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think. Uh, I think Carolina plays well up there. I, I, I think it's a good ball game. Beating Notre Dame in South Bend at night. Yeah. It's in a front tough of ask. touchdown Jesus and everybody. Yeah. Touchdown Jesus peeking over the edge of the stadium as he's as he does. It, it'll be uh, – Jason, your prediction will certainly uh, please a lot of people and turn around the season, I think, for North Carolina. I'm going to let it. Let it be at that. It's been, <laughs> it's been the game plan podcast. Uh, Jason Staples has gone on a limb. Greg Barnes has been solid as usual. I'm just sitting here watching with popcorn. I'm not comfortable on this limb. I'm just going to let you know, but I'm, I'm calling him the way I see him. Well, part of me feels like you're right. The other part of me feels like what Greg says has got to see it to believe it. And I'd rather be wrong thinking that way than wrong thinking that 12 and 0 is what it was going to be I, well, I don't from know. the perspective from the from a perspective of somebody who wants carolina to win right you it's better to come in expecting them to lose and then be positively surprised than, than to, oh it's always to win and then be like oh great now here we go again yeah that's the so, story yeah. of life plan for the yeah. worst the, anything better than the worst is a win i just like i i like some of the matchups here and i don't tr- I, you know if it comes down to it i trust north carolina's quarterback position more than I, than I trust cone and he's a good quarterback. They're, you know, they're, they're a good team, but I think Carolina is going to be able to be more balanced in this game overall than Notre Dame. Interesting stuff. It's been the game plan podcast inside carolina.com sponsored by Johnny t-shirt, Johnny t-shirt.com. That's Jason Staples with his Aloha shirt, Greg Barnes with his solid work as always. Uh, next time you'll hear from us will be on the day after at some point. I'll be in South Bend, so I don't know when the day after will happen. If Carolina wins, as Jason says, it might never happen. We'll talk soon, though, boys. Appreciate it. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.